You're listening to an Electrical Industries Charity podcast. Before we get started, it's important to let you know that we're going to be talking about complex issues which may be triggering, so we hope that you only listen if you feel that you're in the right headspace to do so. Please check the show notes for a more detailed description of this episode's content. These stories and this podcast are unique and personal to the people we are speaking with, and the views and opinions of our guests do not necessarily represent those of the Electrical Industries Charity. So, let's jump in. Welcome to the Electrical Industries Charity podcast. We'll be exploring anxiety in the theme of this year's Mental Health Awareness Month. I'm Grace from the Welfare Team at the EIC. I'm joined by Sue Doughty, founder and CEO of Westmeria Counselling Service Charity. Before we begin to speak about our topic, I'll pass over to Sue to tell us a bit more about who she is and what Westmeria do. Hi, Grace. Thanks for inviting me along to talk to you about anxiety. Westmeria Counselling started in 2003, so we're actually 20 years old this year. We're a mental health charity in Bromley offering donations only counselling to people so we can make it accessible to all. We have 40 counsellors now working alongside us, volunteering to provide that service and it's gone from strength to strength. We've seen an awful lot more since the pandemic, which we'll talk about later. So alongside the counselling service itself, we've started a college in 2014. We are training people in our own building to become counsellors themselves. What an incredible organisation, Sue. Thanks so much for talking us through that. So this month, we've heard um, quite a few different definitions of anxiety and what it means. So Sue, just to kick off our podcast, what is anxiety and what does that mean to you? Yeah, you're absolutely right, Grace. It is often misconstrued and it'd be good to have an insight into what anxiety is, when it can be experienced, how to manage it and how to be prepared for it in future incidences. So anxiety is necessary for us to survive. It's actually a clever reaction to threat. Anxiety and excitement do exactly the same thing to our bodies. It's our interpretations that make them so different. And it has been said that anxiety is actually excitement without breathing. Anxiety is a process and it's a creative adjustment to life events that seem unmanageable and sometimes overwhelming. It can be experienced as agitation, fear, increased states of hyperarousal or even as a shutdown. It's often as a comorbidity with depression, low self-esteem and confidence and can be experienced as completely overwhelming. So anxiety is actually a cycle. We start with our core belief, which is a trigger for anxiety. This in turn affects our personal narrative, our thinking and logic, our behaviour and consequently then our emotions. We often assume that as an adult, we can address our anxiety from an adult perspective. And whilst this can be true, our core belief comes from earlier experiences and memories. And with that in mind, we should show ourselves compassion, empathy and understanding of the time the core belief actually originated from. So the window of tolerance shows our capacity to cope with stress and handle our emotions. If we can identify our feelings and handle what comes our way, we're in our personal window of tolerance. This is where our body is in its optimal state. We can access both reason and emotion and we're mentally engaged. When we can't calm down, we're in a state of hyperarousal. This is where our body is overreactive. We're unclear in our thoughts and become emotionally distressed. The opposite to this is where we shut down. 
we feel depressed, lethargic, numb and unmotivated and are in a state of hypo-arousal. So mindfulness and breath work work well for both of these and grounding for hyper-arousal and physical activity for hypo-arousal. That's so interesting, Sue. Thanks so much. I think it's one of those topics that we could really delve into um, on such a vast scale. I know we'll definitely come to discussing ways that we can actually help ourselves moving forward as well um, a bit later on in the podcast. But what I'd really like to speak about as well is how you know, the pandemic, the cost of living crisis, you know, the current state of affairs, I suppose, has had an effect on people's anxiety or whether it has, whether you've noticed it um, at West Mirror in the same way that we have at the EIC. Yeah, in recent times, I've noticed that the presentation of anxiety is much higher than it's been in the past. I believe that COVID has had a big part to play in this for many reasons. The obvious anxiety to begin with is a threat to our own mortality no real kill guidance because nobody knew. People like boundaries and clarity and that was completely missing for our lives for some time and hasn't really completely returned for many. Then you've got home working, juggling homeschooling, which I know was an absolute nightmare for some people, no private place to work and trying to do everything to the best of your ability in an unsure, unclear world. Once things have settled and the return to some semblance of order came about, a whole new wave of anxiety appeared. Boundaries are often more difficult to put in place when you're working from home, linked to our expectations of ourselves and others, our beliefs of what other people might expect. So maybe kind of asking yourself these questions. How have you managed this? What have been your challenges? How have you tried to resolve those challenges? And what has worked for you? Boundaries are a clear guide and framework around ourselves rather than a wall and a barrier to keep unwanted pressures out. So there can be an assumption just because you're working from home that you have to be 100% or more efficient. I mean, is this realistic? Did you do this when you worked away from home? There's the importance of regular breaks. Think about what would have happened at work, sort of small moments of like time out, you know, those watershed moments or the water cooler moments rather, where you kind of catch up with people. And I think the cost of living crisis has had a direct impact, certainly on our own service, by people not being able to make their usual donation, which of course has a knock-on effect to us. And from the client point of view, to view the daily struggles led once again to anxiety, stress and depression. And the relationship between money and mood is often for the self-employed and can be worse. Yeah, I completely agree. And it's something that we have seen in such a number of our cases at the Electrical Industries Charity too and within our, within our whole sector is something that we're definitely combating at the moment. Um, you know, as you mentioned, there are so many things that have contributed to, I think, the anxiety and stress that people are feeling nowadays and seeing that on such a such a bigger scale and and so much more volume in that sense as well I would say you know a huge proportion of our cases encompass um, financial concern I think the number lies at around 87 percent although at this current moment I would argue that that was slightly higher whether that be that someone is in financial distress or whether they're in receipt of anxiety support or you know stress support because of burnout you know I do think that we we see this vicious circle Um, coming up time and time again and exactly as you've mentioned you know the relationship between money and mood and hugely in the self-employed but actually cross-industry cross-position as well 
how would you say that we can make small differences to help ourselves maybe when working from home or working, you know, isolated or on our own? I think some of this might sound obvious and not rocket science, but we often forget that we can keep connected and how important it is to do so. For some people, withdrawing, separating or trying to cope alone is their usual go-to when feeling low or out of sorts, anxious, not okay, worried about sort of exploding. So keeping connected may feel like the very opposite of what you need to do, even counterintuitive. But connection is a very human need. If this is the case for you, then try and keep connected in the way that feels okay for you. So for instance, emotional support bubbles help to strengthen connections, relationships and support. So like working apart together. So working apart doesn't have to mean working alone. Schedule in work and non-work catch-ups. Working from home can feel very transactional and functional. And sharing and asking. Don't wait to be asked and don't want to be asked. Sharing is also a great way of modelling and leading by example. So when you hear fine as the answer, as often we, we do when we ask that question, Maybe we need to just ask the question again. Connecting the best way for you, maybe it's calling, maybe it's messaging or maybe it's face-to-face. With the world of Zoom and Teams now, often we don't get to actually see face-to-face and I think that's a basic human need and we miss it. I think giving yourself structure is really important. Look at your working day, break and time and switch off from work. What about the time you would generally be commuting? Those times when you'd miss catching up with people in the kitchen while grabbing yourself a coffee. Going back to boundaries, it's important that you make your boundaries clear. Firstly to yourself, because that's really important, and then to your work colleagues, but also at home. Building breaks for yourself, holidays and time out or time off. But most of all, and this is really important, keep connected, keep talking and keep the dialogue open. Yeah, no, I completely agree. You make a really good point there. Um, you know, work-life balance has become so blurred for those that are maybe working from home in the role they used to do in the office or maybe working more remotely. Um, especially applicable to the electrical sector is that people often have to be on the road for, for a number of days and sometimes for a longer period of time away from their family. Um, and as you say, it's that kind of lack of connection that very much feeds into, you know, how they're, how they're doing mentally, how they're feeling. Um, and as you say, I think keeping the conversation open, keeping the dialogue open, being open to explore and talk about how you're feeling is, is one of the key ways in which someone copes with that, you know, and, and is actually able to, you know, ensure that they have. And I suppose it's always good to consider because obviously sometimes we find ourselves in panic. You know, we do find ourselves and it is inevitable. Stress is, stress is one of the, the most inevitable things, I think, in human life. Um, But I mean, do you have any advice for those times where perhaps we haven't been able to put in preventative measures? Maybe we do find ourselves in hot water. We are being anxious or stressed, burnt out. We are sort of at that point and we need to kind of de-escalate. Yeah, that's a good point, Grace. And there are a good number of tips to help you manage when anxiety takes control. I think often we focus on our negative automatic thoughts and fear and uncertainty takes over. We adopt anxiety-based thinking styles such as 
all or nothing thinking, catastrophizing, mind reading, overgeneralization, shoulds and musts, personalization. And this leaves us feeling out of control and therefore anxious. We already know that anxiety is keeping us alive, so it's not about getting rid of the anxiety, it's about embracing it. It's important to feel control and we need to look at our acknowledgement of the situation, acceptance of it, and then taking that control. So potentially to gain control, try like a little grounding exercise such as five things I can see, four things I can feel, three things I can hear, two things I can smell, and then one thing you can taste. So take slow deep breaths until you feel that level of control. I think what that does is it's also like a distraction technique. So you kind of, you're taking yourself away from the anxiety and focusing on another thing, which is really important. And I think sometimes anxiety turns into the panic that you were talking about, Grace, earlier on. And a kind of few tips that I've given to people and that worked really well with panic are just remember these feelings of panic are, are normal reactions, but they're just exaggerated. These feelings aren't harmful and nothing worse is going to happen. So notice what's going on in your body right now. Stay with the present. Just slow down, relax, but keep going. Thinking about what might happen is unhelpful. It's only now that matters. So accept those feelings. Let them run through you and they will disappear more quickly. So monitor your level of anxiety, 10 being the worst and zero being the least. Watch the level go down as you're going through all these steps. Stay in the situation. If you run away, avoid or escape, it will be more difficult in the future. So face it head on. Take yourself a few slow, deep breaths. Now consciously relax your tense muscles. Feel yourself gently relaxing. And now begin to concentrate again on what you were doing before. And most important, congratulate yourself for getting through it. Other useful techniques I use are like the pyramid vision. So working with visuals is quite useful to do. So you can kind of scoop yourself up into this imaginary state to feel more protective. So kind of draw four points underneath yourself and then a point a couple of meters above your head. Join themselves up and put yourself inside. So this could be perhaps made of crystal and repels everything and everybody away from yourself. You can do this anywhere and no one will know. A lot of people I've known have done this on a train when they're struggling with um, anxiety about getting to work. So they kind of put themselves in that pyramid and they feel safe and secure inside. The other one is the imaginary cloak, a bit like the Scottish Widows thing. You can use that in the same way. Pick your favourite colour. Imagine a huge cloak that can wrap yourself around with a big hood. Again, Nobody's going to be able to see this. Nobody knows what you're doing, but you can feel that element of safety. That was so, so interesting and something that I haven't actually considered before. I really love those techniques um, and definitely something that I will be employing um, when I do get those kind of waves of, of feeling quite overwhelmed. I think that will be so helpful. I actually feel very zen after that. That was very, very calming. And I did, I followed along as you were uh, talking us through there. And so I do feel as though I have a, very much relaxed now. I think self-awareness is something that we are pretty much begging people to have at the charity. You know, we're, we're, we're trying to educate, we're trying to talk around it, we're trying to open this conversation around being self-aware and being conscious of how, you know, how we're feeling at all times, checking in with yourself. 
Um, and I think this plays in so much to this conversation on how we manage these symptoms that we have, effectively the symptoms, right? You know, that we're we're feeling overwhelmed, we get the physical side as well as the kind of psychological side as well. As part of that kind of initiative, I would like to look at those kind of preventative measures that we can put into place. How can we stop ourselves from kind of dipping into that, you know, self-awareness being the key one? But obviously sometimes that does fail. Sometimes we can't pick up the signs that our bodies may be telling us or that our minds may be telling us. So what would you recommend for those who maybe want to move away from that I mean, I think we all do in in some respects, but, you know, move away from that slightly more. Is there anything that we can put into place? Yeah, thanks for that, Grace. And thanks for, I'm I'm glad that you found that pretty zen because that is the idea that we're kind of bringing ourselves down a little bit. I mean, I guess it's important to say we can't stop anxiety from rearing its head. People ask if having anxiety is normal. Yeah, ask yourself, how do I know if I'm feeling anxious? Is it always bad to feel anxiety? Should we strive for a life free from anxious feelings? Maybe an understanding that plays an important part of a healthy life. When is the line crossed between anxious feelings and an anxiety disorder? And I guess at what point should we seek professional help like from people like ourselves in Westmere Charity when experiencing that anxiety? We've put some input into our own kind of relapse prevention, personal well-being plan for managing it when it does come along. So for example, When the anxiety comes, take a moment to consider your anxiety, your worries, your fears, any low mood and concerns. Then consider how long you've managed with your anxiety. Is it weeks? Is it months or even years? Has your anxiety adapted? If so, how has it adapted? How do you know if you're feeling anxious? Then review the situation. Know and understand what your triggers are take time for yourself, do the things that you can and the things that you enjoy. And again, from before, it's really important, connect and keep in touch. Amazing. Thank you, Sue. And I know that at West Maria, you do um, a lot of work around anxiety. I understand you hold workshops and, you know, it's one of your key focuses. I would like to ask on behalf of the industry, How can we raise more awareness within the workplace, within our teams, you know, even within our households for people around anxiety and how we may be coping with that and what would be beneficial? Yeah, I mean, we've certainly found that our workshops in the corporate sector have raised a great deal of awareness on lots of different topics. This is both from the employer and the employee side of things. Our mental health awareness workshops are well received by both management and staff to get a greater understanding of what's needed and we'll often feed back if that's what's required by the company. Anxiety brings a lot of conflict and we have seen a rise in the demand for our conflict resolution and also our crisis management workshops where we can meet with people and discuss what their idea of conflict is, what they understand from it, how to bring about resolution in a calmer and and less volatile way because when you hear the words conflict and crisis that brings its own anxiety in itself. So we offer these how, these workshops in-house if that makes it easier for employers to engage their employees or online or at our own offices, whatever works for them. And, you know, it's so important, as we've discussed today, to get the word out there. We've noticed our, our anxiety workshop this year in January um, was completely full and we've got a waiting list for another later in the year. So we're kind of revising our programme to add in more. So we run 
monthly workshops of very different topics at our offices in person, but we can also do these online. So far, we've done anxiety, grief and loss, the menopause, neurodiversity, and retirement. And we've got one coming up on return to work because, like I said earlier, going back after the pandemic has been horrific for some people and they're still suffering with that even now. Our own counsellors are involved in writing blogs and this month was about how to seek help with mental health and also the impact it has on family and friend relationships because I know from what we've spoken about Grace is that this is far-reaching it's not just about the person coming its effect is far and wide. And you're absolutely right there. It it truly is far and wide. And I think education is key, isn't it? It's about having those sometimes very uncomfortable conversations and sessions, you know, workshops, whether that be team dynamics or, you know, filtering it down. It's very important to have that understanding. And also, I think one of the big things that we see, or that I personally have seen, is that what one person may find incredibly anxiety-provoking may not phase the next person. And actually having that empathy and understanding for that person, whether that's your colleague, you know, your family member, your friend, is so important and is a huge skill to to be able to gauge and to be able to to utilize. And you know, we stand behind you. I think it's incredible everything that you're doing and pushing out the the education on all of those I mean, all of those topics are so, so important. Obviously anxiety being our focus here, but very much play in to to every single one of them. And actually into everyday life in so many ways as well. So this has been an incredible discussion. I'd absolutely love to read some of the blogs. I don't know if they're linkable. It would be incredible to to perhaps um, link a couple up as well for, for all of our many listeners. Thank you so much for your time today, for your expertise, for bringing so much to the table and, and for sharing it with us and with with BIC and with, with everyone that we interact with. So thank you so much, Sue has been a really special podcast um, and one that I definitely will be referring to in the future especially with that zen moment there remember if you are struggling with anything that we've spoken about today with anxiety with your mental health please do reach out to the UIC for support you can come via our website via our helpline or via email should you wish to thank you so much for listening and thank you again thanks Grace bye-bye If you or somebody else working in the electrical or energy industries is in need of support, or you wish to donate to the Electrical Industries Charity, please get in touch via email at support at electricalcharity.org or you can call us on 0800 652 1618.